Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life Adult Podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. So, Chris, I have a question for you. Okay. <laughs> is changing your mind about something hard for you to do? Lynn, I change my mind like I change my clothes. It happens just all the time. Change, changing my mind, I can change my mind between the time I say to my wife, where are we going to go to eat? And we decide, and I can say, well, how about, and we can go in different directions. And I probably drive her crazy uh, with that. How about you? I do change my mind occasionally. Uh, for instance, uh, just yesterday, uh, I've, I've gradually learned that pineapple is okay when it's in pizzas. Oh, and I even discovered yesterday, pineapple's okay in fried rice. I'm not a Chinese food person. Uh, but I will, uh, I did have, I was at a restaurant yesterday with some friends and I tried, uh, fried rice with pineapple and it was quite good. So I've changed my mind about pineapple. Okay. I don't know about the pizza thing. You're, you threw me off. I don't think I can go there. (laughs) That's a change I inherited from my wife who loves pineapple on her pizza. Now, the reason we're talking about this is we're uh, we're in this study on uh, being what it means to be set apart, living a life set apart for God. And as we've been unpacking this, the way what does that look like in our lives? Today, we're going to consider this idea of what it means to be set apart in the way we think. In other words, uh, our minds, many areas of our lives, we need to change the way we think when that comes as we live for Christ. Joining us for this podcast is the writer of this study, which is Dr. Freddie Cardoza. Freddie, thanks for taking the time to be with us for this podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Freddie is the uh, vice president and the dean at Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana. Uh, Freddie has a, a good credentials, good background, and a good testimony of his walk with Christ. And uh, he's an ideal person to have written this study for us. Well, let me take us into our study, which is uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And I will say for many of us, we're going to be looking at what could be considered a very familiar passage. So if you're leading a group, let me caution you with this one thing. We're going to be in Romans 12. Often for us as leaders of a group, we're going to say, oh, this is a verse you all know. And you may even ask, you may even put people on the spot says, how many of y'all can quote this for us? Let me ask you one thing. Don't do that. Don't assume the people in your group know the passage or know it well. Uh, you're going to hopefully you'll have some, uh, maybe some new believers in your group. Uh, but take this from the approach of helping everyone in their, everyone in your group to fully understand and unpack this passage. Don't assume anything about what they know or don't know about it. But we're going to be looking at Romans 12 for this idea of living for Christ changes the way we think. Let's just begin with the first two verses of Romans 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So I love, Lynn, that you started, uh, before you read it, you said uh, life experiences can change our thinking. And so this is the ultimate when we have had an encounter with Jesus, 
when we have um, engaged with God and it, he changes us. Uh, That's a radical thing that can happen in a, in a person's life. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued with stories of people who um, have had who who have walked in one way and when they encounter Jesus and the truths of the gospels it's been a radical change i know freddie we talked last time when you were with us that you engage with people from a lot of different backgrounds in the bible meets life you talked about uh the journalist uh, malcolm muggeridge and um the the transformation in his life but let me raise a question here, uh, Freddie. I'd like for you to chase for us because we talk about we're, this call of this transformation in our lives, and as a result, uh, as a response, we're to give our lives as a living sacrifice. But what are we responding to? That's what I want us to chase because there's a key word in Romans twelve verse one, and it's the word therefore. In other words, in view of what I have been telling you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, Freddie, can you give us a, a real abbreviated version of what he is, Paul has been talking about up to this point? Sure. Um, you know, Malcolm Muggeridge had that same experience based on this very concept of what was going on in Romans, because he had lived this unbelievably diverse life. And then he just converted and, and just came to this unbelievable transformation that led him to be one of the greatest journalists of the 20th century. So one of the things that sometimes Bible people talk about sometimes is when you see the word therefore and you're doing Bible study, you ask the question, what is it there for? And so when when Paul starts this off, by literally starting the chapter, therefore, he basically sends us back in the passage to the previous chapter. Now, keep in mind, if those are listening to understand that the Bible did not come inspired with numbers and chapters. So, so it was just a continuous read for all practical purposes. So when he says, therefore, they just started to say, okay, now what was this uh, he was just talking about? And essentially what he's basically saying is um, Paul is getting ready to drop a bomb, uh, an intellectual bomb on all the people. And he's speaking as it were once to the Roman empire and to all the believers globally that are under the dominion of Rome which includes Gentiles, and it includes uh, Jews and Jewish believers. And so he's getting ready to make this enormous challenge to them and command them uh, about transformation, renewal of the mind. But what he essentially basically says is he's he's talking about um, this fact that um, in Romans 9 through 11, there's this, Paul is doing this dialogue and he's, he's discussing these various concepts of theology and then he seems to take this little pause in chapters 9 to 11 and, and says, look, I'm going to address now here, and he, he begins to address things like the Jews in light of the covenants. And essentially what he basically says is, he says, look, Jews, I have a special relationship with you because of the covenant, the old covenant, the Old Testament. And that was one that, that I chose you. But two things were wrong. First of all, you did not live up to the many promises you made through that covenant and all of its uh, all of its entailments, you you just didn't consistently live up to it, as we see throughout the pages of Old Testament history. And beyond that, he essentially says, you know, that there's a reality we see also in Hebrews that that animal sacrifice, which was a part of the Levitical covenant from Leviticus one through seven, as those five different sacrifices are 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 given, 
He says, look, that that's ultimately not adequate. It's it's insufficient. It's impermanent. Permanent. It's impermanent. And it's not possible for that to fully cleanse and permanently erase sin. And so he wants to make it clear about that and that um, that God, by his grace, decided to graft in these Gentiles and bring them into the kingdom. And he then manifests all this through this new covenant through his son. And essentially that Jesus, John 1, by being the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, as he manifests and comes here as the Lord, the son of God, as he does that, he then establishes a new covenant through his blood. He fulfills the terms of the covenant that the Jews could not uh, take care of himself a Jew. And then ironically becomes the lamb of God, the sacrifice itself uh, and gives himself for humanity. And then based on that and how he set himself apart in that way, he then imposes on believers everywhere to set themselves apart in a very particular way. So the idea, the imagery of us as believers uh, offering our lives, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, um, so that is a part of the of the therefore, uh, because Christ has done these things, you are to this is your response. You are to give yourself totally, which gets at set apart a lot. We, we are to uh, to make the ultimate sacrifice. We're to give our lives totally to him. But again, there's a, there's a significant difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, the, it's interesting because God, God weaves these covenants together through the offering of the innocent, you know, and it started with these animal sacrifices in the old covenant. Then it transfers to the lamb of God in the new Testament. And he gives himself there a bloody sacrifice necessary for the redemption of humanity and the cleansing of, of um, us through his blood. And then you're right. He then looks at us and says, in a similar spiritual way, as also an act of worship, just as an act of offering an animal was an act of worship, just as Jesus offering himself was an act of worship. Um, essentially, what happens here is he says that you will now offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice in the same way. He's using this great archetypal concept that just weaves together the old and the new covenants together and then positions us right in the middle of it because we now are becoming the sacrifice because of what Christ has done for us. You perhaps have heard someone talk about the phrase of being a living sacrifice. The problem for us as living sacrifices is sometimes we crawl off the altar. <laughs> yeah. Which, oh, oh, oh. which, there's a, there's validity in that because as believers, you know, we want to, we want to give our lives to Christ. We want to follow him, but we do stumble and fall. Yet I get into verse two here and I see the solution for me is this idea. Well, you got to quit thinking like this current world around you. Don't conform to the way the world thinks, but be for me to be a living sacrifice. I've got to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, being transformed to seeing what Christ has done for me, being transformed and seeing what uh, how his Holy Spirit lives through me, being transformed in all this. And what's the source of that for me? God's word, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've got to know his word. So tell Freddie, I want to I want to set you up. I want you to talk about 
this transformation uh you you mentioned the the greek is connected to the word from which we get the word metamorphosis uh, talk a little bit about that that powerful image of what god does when he transforms us yeah it's really beautiful i mean you know um you know there's um the metamorphosis is um a word as we know that came from it's a biological term and it came from the concept of of different animals that undergo metamorphosis we often think of the caterpillar and the, how it tr transforms into a butterfly and there's, so there's these four phases of metamorphosis it's not just one phase it's four phases that a that a butterfly goes through and and it's a very interesting thing because uh, it's very destructive it's very painful it's it's um it uh you know if you do a little bit of study on the nature of metamorphosis but but um, in a similar way, that's why we have to go through this painful process of making offering ourselves as literal as like a living sacrifice, and and then we, as a as a token of our devotion and commitment to the Lord, uh, we undergo the metamorphosis, metamorph to change form, to transform, and so we literally through it's it's bizarre. Um, we take this is it's so amazing. We we take these words inspired into the hearts of prophets and those 40 gospel and Bible book writers in history. And they receive this, this inerrant, this, this truth given by the Holy Spirit. They then transfer these things into human language through the Spirit. And it gets encoded on parchments, on animal skins, on ultimately papyrus, then on paper. It it comes to them in these human languages of Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek. And then God then allows them to translate that into other languages. So people all over the world can, can read that in their native tongue, their heart language. And what's amazing about it Chris, is that they are literally taking words on a piece of paper, but these words don't just become the word of God, but they are the word of God. They are literally living. They are literally God-breathed. They are from the breath of the Holy Spirit. And because these words on paper, not just words on paper, but they are words on paper, but they existentially have life and spiritual power and divine power infused in them. And the irony is, is that as a human being literally takes the word through either hearing the word of God or through reading the word of God and then reflecting on it as they think about those truths, the power of that transforming truth at once just letters on a paper literally begins to enter into their thinking, renews their heart, can, he, can literally transform their lives. And then as they live out and make decisions moment by moment, to offer themselves as a living sacrifice, as they make that commitment, God literally releases divine power in their lives, and they are changed from the inside out. It is a miracle, and that is the nature of transformation. Never the outside in, never legalistically, never us behaving our ways into holiness, but rather that God transforms us from the inside out which means it takes time for we can see it, right? We, we start to change. We can't even recognize it at first, but 
we begin to be changed and then God makes us new creations. And it's, it's unbelievable. That's the way it works, but that's, that's how it went from scripture and the written word to the living word of Jesus Christ. And then the word of God in our hearts. It's a miracle. It really is. And for, for the three of us, we have, um, felt a call of God to, um, to share his word. So, uh, Lynn and I work for a publisher, uh, who it is our assigned task to take these words and to help people understand them and apply them to their lives. And so that that same, in the same way that our minds have been changed and renewed and, and we've been transformed, we want to see that happen in other people's lives. You do that with students. Uh, it's an amazing a uh, wonderful thing that God has given us the privilege to be a part of. This this transformation, the beauty of it is it is something we don't do. It is something that God does in us. Francis Schaeffer is the one who used, uh, I first at least heard, for, used the term active passivity. You know, we have an active role, but that active role is the idea of putting myself on the altar before God says, God, I'm yours, and let him do that transforming work in us. As he does that work, renews our minds, we are growing and being set apart. And as we come into uh, back to Romans 12, coming to verse 3, that being set apart also impacts, transforms the way we think about ourselves. Let me read verse 3. For the for the by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So over time, I've come to appreciate the fact that Paul goes to this theme of verse three again and again and again. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. <laughs> and and I am convinced that that is one of the key messages that we need in our lives and in our churches today. Chris, uh, a few months ago, uh, several of us, uh, my colleagues, we read the book by Andrew Murray, an old book called Humility. That was a, a powerful book for me to read because uh, Murray stresses so much the value, the extreme importance of humility in the life of a believer. And that's what Paul is getting at in this very passage is how we look at ourselves. We're not better than others. We're not, and we're not worse than others. We're just, we're who God made us to be. And we should humbly live before him and before our brothers and sisters in Christ with that mentality. So Freddie, you mentioned um, the, the dangers of pride and narcissism uh, in the lives of, uh, of people in our world today and how those things have to be overcome. And that's, those, those are our key words uh, that describe people who think too highly of themselves. Yeah, right. I mean, um, you know, th this is something that's true of non-believers. It also can be true of believers. I mean, on the believer's side, you know, we find ourselves on the heels of this passage where 
God has just been working in us and who we used to be, we're no longer. And we've got this whole new reality. And now we're living at a much higher level uh, that's so distinguished from what we used to live. And that could lead to spiritual pride, right? Because we're beginning to be transformed and we may think more highly of ourselves because um, of what we used to be. And so that's certainly a believer, uh, a believer's danger. But then, you know, in general, those who are maybe living a more carnal life where they've not really reached those tiers, they they struggle with things. And I, I think that, yeah, I mean, um, I, I mentioned, you know, in the, in the lesson how, um, you know, uh, we, you know, pride tries to rob God of his glory, first of all, right? And it tries to focus itself on us. And um, people sometimes when they think too high of themselves, like we say, it's it's narcissistic. Um, and we, we have a, an acute problem with this today because of, you know, especially I mentioned social media, you know, um, because, you know, you know, you have, you have these people that, um, that many times they actually have a low view of themselves, but the thing is, is that, um, in this, this high view of ourselves leads to this, this kind of arrogance, um, a low view of ourselves leads to this, uh, debilitating anxiety, as I say, and, and inadequacy. Uh, and so people become self-absorbed, um, and they can either look at others too low or look at themselves too low. And, um, you know, I just think that um, it's, um, I think what God wants from us is when he says um, to consider others better than yourself, but also to have a, a proper view of ourselves. I think what we need to come, come down and land the plane is basically to say, look, um, because of what God's done in my life, uh, I need to cultivate a proper view of myself. And that view is one of dignity, that God gives me dignity. And, and because of that um, dignity given by Christ, I will no longer be self-absorbed, but neither will I be self-conscious. And now, and this is really important, um, because I'm accept, accepted by God and he has allowed me to understand my true value and worth and identity as a believer, I am not diminished. I am not personally diminished when I extend greater value to others and perceive them as better than myself because God has made me so whole and, and he's, he's making me holy. He helps me realize that I can literally elevate others and humble myself even to the point of being a servant, which is precisely what Philippians is talking about in chapter two, but that's what's happening here. And I think that believers need to understand that we don't have to exalt ourselves. We can, we can submit ourselves and in doing that and perceiving as others better than ourselves and taking on the form of a servant, we do not diminish ourselves, but we rather exhibit really the character of Christ. And Freddie, as, as we continue in, in Romans 12, I think we get a better understanding of how we live that out. Well, my, uh, as you described that, that, that view of myself, viewing myself with dignity to see how I relate, not just to Christ, but how do I relate to those around me? That connects with uh, verses four and five, which is what it means to be church. We're a part of one body and we need to understand our part of the body, what role that we bring, but that we all work together. And it, uh, the, the whole function of the body of Christ really demands humility, doesn't it? 
that we have to we have to find those ways to work together and to um, think and value the other person and their part in the body, not just think about ourselves. And Chris, when you skip down to, we go down to verse nine, Paul has given us, I mean, each one of these verses is a very practical way we carry that out. I think each one of these verses, uh, we could spend a whole podcast just on each verse. (laughs) That's really true. But verse nine, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, and take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Beautiful words um, and very practical. I think I appreciated the fact that you set this up. Uh, this reading up with this, how how do we do this? How do we live it out? And he gives us some specific instructions. Well, I, I do agree. I, I, I want to start, though, here with when he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Um, those who are familiar with this word uh, understanding, I was I was recently in Athens. And when you're walking up to the Acropolis, which is where the Parthenon is, and you're overlooking all of Athens, on your way up there, there's this well-known theater, one of the earliest theaters in, in ancient world. And, and um, it became so popular entertainment and, um, you know, drama and the like, the theater that um, Greeks began to put it everywhere. And then the Romans after them did it as well. Well, as you know, the, the Greek actors were called hypocrites, right? And um, a hypocrite, well, a lot of people don't know about the actors in that time, uh, was that the actors were all men. And these men would wear masks. You people have often seen the, you know, the smiley and the sad frowning, you know, the, the comedy tragedy masks. Right. And um, so they would wear masks, which because of the materials they were made of no longer exist. None of them have been found that lasted. But the point was, is they were one who wore a mask and they pretended they played the hypocrite as it were. And I just love here how, when, when, Paul is talking about the importance of being transformed and then starts to give these examples. He starts off by saying, let it be without hypocrisy. In other words, don't be two-faced, your face or the mask that you're wearing. And I think what he's saying in there is that the Christian who's truly transformed is not acting. They're not wearing a mask or sometimes doing one thing, sometimes the other, because instead of acting or let's just say behaving, on the outside, they are transformed from the inside out. So this has truly become their character. And I think he's calling us to live in these ways consistently, always, because this is now our true character. And then, as Lynn said, he gives these just a laundry list of these very beautiful and practical ways to live, whether it's in our lives with others, workmates, um, uh, fellow uh, church members, or even our family and spouses. When we live for Christ, set apart for Him, it will change the way we think. That's the whole point we're looking at with this passage in Romans 12. Boy, there's a whole lot we could discuss in this passage. And I think in our groups, too, I, I dare say we're going to have to just because of the sake of time, we're going to have to shut off this, the discussion because there's so much rich content here. In fact, in your groups, let me just say, if, if you get to talking about this and you run short of time, 
plan some time during the week with two or three other people in your group to get together, continue to talk through how does God want to transform me? How does he want to transform us, our group, in the way we think? Boy, there's a lot of good meat here. Freddie, thanks for helping us really to unpack this passage. Freddie, any final words? You know what? I'll give one final word that the Lord led me to whenever Lynn was saying something earlier. Um, when it comes to this area of studying of God's word, you know, um, you know, it's God that transforms us. We cannot transform ourselves. And I think a lot of people don't understand the mechanics of study, but I would just say it briefly to people that are studying, especially those Bible teachers and stuff. But um, reading the word of God itself, the act of reading and the discipline of reading doesn't make us holy. Um, uh, taking time to study itself, that is our act of studying, is not a meritorious thing that makes us holy. But what happens is, is as we are disciplined, that's the word disciples, the same root word. As a disciple is disciplined, that's what we should do. And as we discipline ourselves to do the act of study, it isn't study itself that transforms us, but when we study, study acts as a catalyst and it puts us in the position where the power of God's word and the transformation of his spirit meets us during those moments. And so that's why study is important, not because in itself it's something, but rather that discipline puts the word of God in our thinking and then we have an encounter with the grace of God, and then he transforms us in those moments. And so it's him transforming us. It's not our study itself that's changing our lives. It's actually the power of God because we have studied. And the thing is, is without studying, we can't get there, but it's actually the Holy Spirit that does it through us. Well said, Freddie. And as we get in our groups this week for study, keep that in mind. Place yourselves in this position with your group to study, open God's word, and let him work in your life to transform. We hope you have a great Bible study this week.